Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, August 26th, and we're talking tech and when to sell a stock. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined in the studio by Motley Fool Premium Analyst, David Kretzman. David, how's it going? It's Friday. It's going well. It's a pretty darn good Friday here at Full HQ. Yeah. We've got uh, the company outing to the Nats game later That's tonight. Right. Uh, Austin Morgan, our man behind the glass, is wearing his Anthony Rendon jersey, a name I learned how to pronounce just minutes ago. <laughs> I even asked to clarify because I wasn't 100% sure. So we've got that going on, which I think a lot of fools are going to go out to, which is mm-hmm. great. And then, of course, it is the last Friday of the month here at HQ. So we have Pizza Day. Best day of the month. For Pizza Day, we get pizza from pretty much every local vendor in the Alexandria area. It's an impressive showing of pizza. You are an old town resident, right? I am. Do you have a personal preference? Like, What do you go for, go for on pizza day? So I actually have celiac disease, so I have to eat gluten-free. So I, I just automatically try to snag whatever of the Domino's gluten-free pizza is left. <sighs> so I, I have to leave more for the rest of you to enjoy those, those offerings. That explains why we order Domino's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because for the longest time, I was like, there are all these really great pizza places. Why are we ordering Papa John's and Domino's? That, that's part of the reason, I think. Makes so. sense to me. Now. I'm grateful. Yeah. yeah. So once we wrap up the podcast, we'll go downstairs to the Fulatorium, get some pizza. You can get your Dominoes. I will have my Bugsies, which I'm partial to. Perfect. Love the deep dish. But uh, before we do that, we're going to talk about when to sell a stock. It's a tough dis- <laughs> t- tough discussion, but glad we're having it. And I think just a note before we start the show and really get into it, there are a ton of different personal finance related reasons for selling a stock: uh, tax loss harvesting, portfolio allocation, all that kind of stuff. We're not really going to get into that here on today's show because we don't want to do anything that would seem like blanket advice for something that is kind of nuanced. Um, also, this is not a show about timing the market with selling shares. We don't do that uh, because we don't we can't do that. I mean, the fool doesn't believe in timing the market. Uh, it's not part of our ethos. Um, everything that we're going to discuss on today's show is when it might make sense to sell shares based on things that impact the company itself or how you feel about that company. Yeah, and I think to preface it all, I think each investor should be biased against selling. I think the longer we can hold our stocks in general, everything else being equal, the better our results will be over the long term as investors. So I would rather hold a losing stock too long than sell a winning stock too early. That's one way to think about it. But there are cases where, for whatever reason, if you're wanting to sell a stock, if you're considering selling a stock, there are some reasons that we'll look at that we can go into. So, reason number one, the thesis is no longer intact. Um, I have an example from my own portfolio, and it isn't a time that I sold, but it's a time that maybe I would have considered selling had circumstances been a little bit different. Um, I realize that is not the same thing, but I think it's an interesting way to illustrate this. Um, so, people that listen to the show might know that I'm a bit of a taser bull. I like the company quite a bit. <laughs> I've talked about them plenty of times on the show in the past. Um, my thesis with them has always been. Their core weapons segment is nice, but for me, the big growth opportunity is with their Axon body camera line, the Evidence.com cloud storage business. Um, and that's proven out so far. Over the last two quarters, the Axon revenue has been higher than their weapons revenue, and the bookings for the segment has grown uh, over triple digit year over year. So it's looking good. Uh, during some of that same period, the company has sold off dramatically after reporting weak guidance. Some of that was due to a worse margin look because of some of the changing product mix there. Some of it was due to some higher uh, SG&A, selling general and administrative costs, uh, which might have eaten into earnings a little bit. But the indicators for that Axon segment were strong. Um, they'd, beat it, they'd beaten what they'd forecasted for bookings. Um, they'd been continuing to add major contracts, so things were looking good there. Um, 
if the results had been flipped and they'd offered great guidance, but the Axon segment, which was my thesis going in, had not been performing well and they'd been missing the mark on their forecasts and they hadn't been able to lock up some of these really important contracts, that's an that's a circumstance where I'd consider selling the stock because it's counter to what I'm expecting and what I'm looking for. Granted, sometimes you're right for the wrong reason, but I, I think that's an example of um, you expect a certain thing and you're buying into a certain story and if it doesn't play out, and that's you know a hypothetical there, um, just kind of as a way to illustrate that. Yeah, I think that that's a great example and something that Peter Lynch, great investor who we talk about a lot at the Motley Fool, something he references is kind of a yellow flag or potentially a red flag is if a company diversifies. So this happens a lot with acquisitions. If you have, let's just go far out here with an example. If you have Coca Cola go out and say, well, to spur growth, we're going to buy a timber company. It's like, okay, that that doesn't really a little head scratcher there, yeah. <laughs> right. So some something like that. So especially if a company is relying on acquisitions to make growth, if they start venturing outside of what's their core competency, like where they have a competitive advantage or where they have knowledge with with that industry or, or segment, that that's a, a yellow flag that the company is stretching to find growth. Um, and that's getting outside of why you're investing in that company. Exactly. Yeah, you're you're not investing in Coca-Cola to get exposure to the lumber market. So that that's obviously an extreme example, but something to watch for, especially with an acquiring acquisitive company. Another example here uh, that I'll quickly go into is Retail Me Not. This was a digital coupons provider. It still still is around. Uh, but going back to 2012, 2013, this is a company that was growing annual sales well above 40% a year. So the company was growing very quickly. It was a growth story. Then in 2014, Google changed its search algorithm. Organic traffic to RetailMeNot's platform plunged. They relied on organic traffic through someone searching for a coupon on Google. They, they got redirected to RetailMeNot. That's how they got the bulk of their traffic. All of a sudden, this went from a growth story to a turnaround story because uh, the the company's desktop traffic plunged. It was actually dropping, and that's where the bulk of their ad revenue was coming from. Was from their desktop business. Their mobile business was was still growing, but it was such a marginal portion of the business that it, it couldn't make up for the losses that they were seeing in that des- desktop segment. And so you're seeing the profile of that business totally change. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you're, you're going from a business that was growing sales 25 to 40 percent or even more uh, each quarter. To a company that's all of a sudden seeing declining sales, it's a turnaround story. Saying, "Okay, can they bootstrap and make that mobile segment a, a more prominent part of the business to make up for those losses?" That's a, a much different story than when you first bought into into a growth company. And it can be kind of tough to accept that um, as someone that may have bought in early, but at a certain point, you're kind of better off realizing that and deciding to do something else with that money. Yeah, at that point you have to reevaluate the the thesis cuz obviously your original thesis isn't intact if you thought the growth would continue. So you either have to yeah, you basically just have to reevaluate the thesis and say, okay, going from today onward, do I think this is going to be a winning investment? Do I think it's going to beat the market? Does it have above average chances to to beat the market? So in those cases, you you basically just have to start at square one and make a new thesis. And if you don't really believe in that thesis, then it might be a good time to sell the stock. And reevaluating the business really is kind of the first step in deciding to sell. So you know you can kind of drop those in a little bit synonymously for this discussion. Selling is kind of the final act of getting out of position, but um, the considerations there are very similar. Yep. Uh, number two. Core business issues, and this kind of ties into retail me not a little bit, uh-huh. but um, the idea of a company with deteriorating financials, um, maybe the management team changes, 
something like that. Uh, do you have an example for that? Yeah, an example that I'll bring from our Rule Breaker service is actually one of the first companies that was recommended in the service, uh, and that's Blue Nile. So, for those who aren't familiar, this is a company that basically sells online jewelry, rings, engagement rings, stuff like that online. So, it was an early e commerce player. The company was founded in 1999. And going back to 2004, when it was first recommended in Rule Breakers, this was a company with a profit margin of about 6%. Sales were growing at about 30% or higher. So, this was a growth story. And looking out over the next decade, when we ended up finally selling the stock and the service earlier this year, actually, sales growth was all of a sudden flat. The company wasn't gaining any market share, it was just kind of growing. At the industry average, profitability had dropped over the same time period. Looking at so basically, here you're looking at a few different factors. You can look at sales growth, profitability, so some of the financials. You can look at market share or competitive position. So, in this case, the early thesis with Blue Nile was that as an online provider of engagement rings, they can sell cheaper prices, they can be a more convenient solution. and Theoretically, they should be able to gain market share, but that wasn't really playing out, especially over that period of a decade. Then another thing you can look at is capital allocation. So, how is the company, how is management allocating the cash that the company is generating? So, in the case of Blue Nile, the company was still producing some cash flow over the past five years or so. That amount started to dwindle, and the cash that they were generating, they were buying back the stock, they were buying back shares, and that turned out to be a really Terrible investment because the shares have dramatically underperformed. They're still they're down about eight percent over the past five years. So that's a lousy capital allocation decision on the part of management. And then the co-founder and CEO Mark Vaden he left in 2013. So all of a sudden you have a business with deteriorating financials, um, a weak competitive position, or certainly they're not in a position where they're gaining market share. And um, then you have the the co-founder and CEO. Leaving and going to another company, Zoo Lily, um, in 2013. So, a combination of all those factors shows a, a deteriorating business. That is, in a lot of ways, the perfect example. Pretty much touched on every different <laughs> element of the deteriorating business that we'd mentioned there. Um, number three is you believe the company has gone beyond a reasonable valuation. And I think that this is probably one of the toughest ones to nail down, particularly because as fools, a lot of what a lot of the companies we like are kind of growth oriented, and they have these very gaudy valuations. Exactly, and I think something you have to keep in mind here is if you like everything about a business except the valuation, you probably don't want that to be the only reason you sell because valuation is such a tough thing to pin down. So let's say you really love a business and and you want to sell because of valuation. That but that kind of implies that at some point you'd be interested in buying back shares. If you love the company and it, let's say the stock got hit in half, you'd probably want to buy shares. The problem with that is that you have to be right not just once, but twice. You have to be right A or number one when you sell the shares, and you have to be right when you buy the shares. And, and, can, and we talked about how difficult timing that is. Yeah, so all of a sudden you're not just timing one thing, like when you buy or sell, you're timing both. And that, that just raises the probability that you're going to make a bad decision as an investor. So I would, I'll just preface this, this section by saying you probably don't want valuation to be the only reason you, you sell a stock, but maybe you, you sell, sell your position in stages, maybe you just sell half of it, something like that. Yeah, I think. The way to think about this, and it is, like we said, very difficult, is if there's a massive disconnect between what the business is being valued at and the value and growth that you're able to recognize, mm-hmm. uh, then you might have a case for selling shares. And 
maybe if you're looking for indicators there, um, are you agreeing with the total total addressable market that's being assigned to this business and service or segment or product or whatever, or is it just kind of unfathomable to you? Um, and you know, if the company has growth plans, whether they be physical locations, entries to foreign markets, do you believe they'll be successful there? Uh, if not, if it's no to either of those, then maybe you have a case for selling. Yeah, and I, I think it's important to look at what what does valuation mean, and really what the valuation means for long-term investors is it it gives you an idea of what the company needs to do to become a good long-term investment for you. So let's let's look at a, a recent tech company, a tech IPO, uh, Twilio. Uh, this is a company that they, they make uh, communication software for apps that companies like Airbnb, Uber integrate into their apps. All sorts of communication stuff. This, we'll probably, this is the company that's going to be the topic of a tech show down the road. So this is a preview of of Twilio from a valuation <laughs> perspective. So right now Twilio, they're they're not generating net income. They're not generating cash flow. So one of the valuation metrics you can look at is sales. So price to sales ratio is is twenty one for the company, and that that's a lofty number. So that, to to give some context, Facebook trades at a price to sales ratio of sixteen. Twitter. At about five, and LinkedIn being bought out by Microsoft, which we'll talk about in a bit, at about a little over seven. So Twilio is clearly trading at a premium compared to some of these young, these other tech companies. And to to justify the valuation today, so let's say you want to invest in Twilio because you think over the next five years this is a company that can grow. I think it'll be a market beating investment from today. So just some back of the envelope math here: if Twilio grows sales at thirty five percent. Annually, each year for the next five years, and trades at a price to sales ratio of eight in five years, the comp- the stock would less than double from today. So Twilio could they they and might th- and those are impressive growth rates. So I, I would say that's that's a, from what I understand the company, I think that's a pretty optimistic scenario. But perhaps they they can grow sales at fifty percent. Maybe they'll trade at a higher valuation. It's tough to pin down, but back of the envelope math like that gives you an idea of what the market. Or what the company needs to do to to justify the stock today. So in the case of, of Twilio, that that seems like a, you're taking on a lot of risk for not so great of a reward because that basically means the company has to just pump out lights out growth quarter after quarter, year after year, and still trade at a premium valuation in five years to less than double from today. So I, I think in the, in the case of Twilio, I I would. Look to to other areas. If I own the stock, you know, I I might look. I certainly wouldn't be looking to add at these levels. Yeah, yeah. totally makes sense. Um, you touched on LinkedIn before. Number four for us is the company has been bought out, and LinkedIn is one of the companies that we want to discuss here. Um, a high profile example of this is the Microsoft and LinkedIn acquisition. In June, Microsoft announced that they were buying LinkedIn for twenty six point two billion dollars, one hundred ninety six dollars per share in an all cash deal. So you look at LinkedIn shares now, and they're trading around $192, give or take. There's a little hover there. Um, the deal is supposed to close at the end of the year, and I think you have some investors that are like, okay, it's at 192 now, closing price is 196. Eventually, I'll get that 4% lift if I hold on. I think there's a decent case to be made for LinkedIn shareholders that you've experienced the bump that you're going to get from the acquisition. If you have anything else you want to do with that money. It's very understandable to just sell the shares and actually have liquid assets to work with. Absolutely, I think the the one reason you might want to hold shares is if is mainly for tax reasons. So if you bought the shares in a taxable account within a year, then it would make sense to hold the shares past that year mark because then the the capital gains taxes that you would pay would go down 
otherwise, yeah, it, it makes sense just to to, to sell. Like in, in the case of the Microsoft and LinkedIn acquisition, there's very little chance of a competing offer coming through or you know the deal falling through. So yeah, I mean the boards are on board here. Um, it seems like a pretty open and shut case. I don't think there's going to be any competitive regulatory issues. Um, so is it worth holding out for that extra four bucks? Um, unless it impacts your holding period, like you talked about, that's a great point. Probably not. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, another one to think about: um, a different type of deal and kind of a different consideration here. Another deal announced in June, Tesla said it would be acquiring Solar City for two point six billion in an equity deal. And the terms here: Solar City stockholders will receive .11 Tesla common shares per Solar City share. So, if you owned ten shares of Solar City after the deal closes in Q four, you would now own one point one shares of Tesla. Um, I think it boils down to if you don't want to be a Tesla shareholder, you should probably sell your Solar City Solar City shares prior to the company transferring over. Exactly. Yeah. And in a case like this, and there there can be deals that are in between. It might be a cash and equity deal or or something like that. But yeah, in a situation like Tesla and Solar City, if you're a Solar City shareholder, you you want to evaluate whether or not you want to be an owner of Tesla shares. That's really the question. If you don't want to be a Tesla shareholder. You sell, so you evaluate the management. Do you believe in Elon Musk's vision? Do you like the financial situation of Tesla and Solar City combined? Do you like the the market prospects? All of those things would would be things you want to take in, into account. Yeah, and so we realized we kind of showed the two ends of the spectrum there in acquisitions, and there are some blended deals, but I think that just gives you a little bit of flavor for the different considerations. Yep. Um, Anything else on the when to sell side uh, before I let you go, David? No, I'll, I'll just give a quick example from Tom Garner of why you should be biased to holding a stock rather than selling. Like I think you should definitely think twice before selling a stock. An example that Tom Garner gives is going back to '95 or '96. Tom had invested in Dell, um, and and the stock was trading at a premium valuation. It's it popped up about 25 percent uh, within a few months. So we thought, oh, you know, I think it's a little frothy. I'm going to sell, sell now. So we sold the shares. He never ended up buying back the shares. Over the next decade or so, Dell went up 40 times in value. Whew. So you think about that. No amount of losers that you sell, or no amount of stocks that you sell at a good time, is going to make up for that winner that you cut short too early. So I think, like like I said earlier, I'd much rather hold a losing stock too long than sell a winning stock too early. Like when I look back for my past. Over the past decade of my investing uh, so far, my biggest mistake by far has been selling Chipotle or Monster Energy too early because you, you lose out on those potential gains rather than selling a, a potential loser um, on time. And those were both businesses you loved, I'm guessing, but it was a matter of valuation. Right. And, and some, a, a tendency that people have, just for whatever reason, our psychology will. If we're in a position where maybe we need to raise money to to buy a house or fund something in our life, and in my case it was funding uh, college tuition, we'll usually tend to gravitate towards selling our winners first, and we'll keep our losers longer. I think if anything, it should be flipped. Like you, you should look if you if you really are in a position where you want to sell something, start with your losers first rather than your winners, because humans have a tendency in investing to cut the flowers and water the weeds, and that will just kill your returns over time. That is an excellent expression to wrap up on. <laughs> cut the flowers and water the weeds. I love it. Well, listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or just want to reach out and say hey, you can shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. 
or you can tweet us at MF Industry Focus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, you can subscribe on iTunes or check out the Fool's family of shows at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. For David Kretzman, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. Fool on.